Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Well, there's breaking news. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Breaking news. Before I get into anything else, Georgia Senator John Ossoff has been diagnosed with COVID. He is in India and cannot make it back to the United States is having to isolate in India. Uh, Listen, I have heard of clever excuses to get out of campaigning with people, but this may be the best excuse ever to get out of campaigning with Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I really want to be on the campaign trail with your sinking chips, but I got COVID. I'm stuck in India. India! Your new mother. I'm sorry. It's an old, if you knew the Louis Grizzard joke, you know. <laughs> All right. I have to move on. First, the phone number, 877-973-7425. Second, I need to lament. This is the hard day of the year for me. Apple is unveiling all of their goodness, and I am here with you guys and would really prefer to be there. And what makes it worse is the two jack wagons I employ to try to keep me in the news, they refuse to text me during the show. They're like, you've got work to do. You have to focus on your show and audience. They they refuse to text me the updates of all of the grand and glorious great Apple goodness that is being unveiled a buddy of mine who will remain nameless texted me and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Erickson, I must tune out the Eric Erickson show to tune in the Tim Cook show, but I will text you the grandeur that is unveiled, and I need it because they're coming out with new iPhones today and a new Apple Watch, maybe new AirPods, and none of you care, but I care, and what's the name of this show? Get it? Okay, now to the real serious stuff. Can we talk about Mar-a-Lago for a moment? Um, I want to say this out of the gate on the record. I don't care if it makes you mad. It was stupid of Trump to take that many classified and top secret documents to Mar-a-Lago. It was dumb. And if you follow along with it, they would have you believe that the FBI planted those documents there. The problem is they did not claim that in federal court. If they really believed the FBI planted the documents, why did they not claim it in federal court before a Trump-appointed judge? Because it didn't happen, and they're relying on dumb people to believe the dumb things that they say. It didn't happen. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump's team took a pile of classified documents from the National Archives or from the White House that were supposed to go to the National Archives that every other president did and complied with, and he alone decided not to. It was an unforced dumb error. And I know there are people that say, Barack Obama did it. No, he did not. I know they want you to believe that, but he didn't do it. To the extent there were some documents transmitted out of the White House by Barack Obama's team to head off to his presidential library that shouldn't have gone, they reverted them rapidly to the National Archives for review. The Trump team, they've been there for all this time. Now, listen, I don't think it's the national security threat the left is making it out to be because, obviously, they've been there for 18 months and nobody's stolen them. But it was a dumb and unforced error by a team that regularly makes dumb and unforced errors, and it's become a distraction for Republicans trying to win 
2022. It was stupid to do. But also, there's some really stupid stuff from the other side, too. And I, I, I want to I sh- talk to you through this story from the Washington Post that has everybody buzzing. Because you got to pay attention here. Material on foreign nations' nuclear capability seized at Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Some seized documents were so closely held, only the president, a cabinet-level or near-cabinet-level official, could authorize others to know. Now, follow along with me here in the wording, please. Listen to this. A document describing a foreign government's military defenses, including its nuclear capabilities, was found by FBI agents who searched former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence and private club last month, according to people familiar with the matter, underscoring concerns among U.S. intelligence officials about classified materials stashed in the Florida property. Some of the seized documents detail top-secret U.S. operations so closely guarded that many senior national security officials are kept in the dark about them. Only the president, some members of his cabinet, or a near-cabinet-level official could authorize other government officials to know details of these special access programs, according to people familiar with the search who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe sensitive details of an ongoing investigation. Documents about such highly classified operations require special clearances on a need-to-know basis, not just top-secret clearance. Some special access programs can have as few as a dozen government personnel authorized to know of the operation's existence. Records that deal with such programs are kept under lock and key almost always in a secure compartmented information facility with a designated control officer to keep careful tabs on their location. But such documents were stored at Mar-a-Lago with uncertain security more than 18 months. Now let's back up, please. This, This is a story in how the media tries to tell a narrative that isn't necessarily so. Here's the headline. Material on foreign nations' nuclear capabilities seized at Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Here's the subheadline. Some seized documents were so closely held only the president, a cabinet-level or near-cabinet-level official, could authorize others to know. And this is the entirety of the first paragraph. It is one long sentence. A document describing a foreign government's military defenses, including its nuclear capabilities, was found by FBI agents who searched former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence and private club last month. According to people familiar with the matter, underscoring concerns among U.S. intelligence officials about classified material stashed there. Notice what none of this says. It's implied, but it doesn't actually say. The foreign government's military defenses, including its nuclear capabilities document, that wasn't a classified document. It wasn't a classified document. How do I know it wasn't a classified document? Because if you actually read the paragraph, it doesn't say that. What it says is that there was a document that discloses foreign government's military defenses, and it underscores concerns about classified materials at the property. If it was itself a classified document, 
they would have said a classified document describing a foreign government. This is the media sleight of hand to tell an anti-Trump narrative. I think Trump was boneheaded. It was stupid for him to do what he did. But this is the media trying to play gotcha with something that's not classified. They led with this. Now, now this is the important part to know. The second paragraph. Allow me to read you the second paragraph. Some of the seized documents detail top-secret U.S. operations so closely guarded that many senior national security officials are kept in the dark about them. First sentence. Only the president, some members of his cabinet, or a near-cabinet-level official could authorize other government officials to know details of these special access programs, according to people familiar with the search who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe sensitive details of an ongoing investigation. Note again. It doesn't say the seized documents were classified, just that the documents detail top-secret U.S. operations that are closely guarded. So what could it be? It could be a document describing a previously top-secret operation that has subsequently been declassified. So, yes, it described a top-secret government operation that few had knowledge about— but has subsequently been declassified, and we don't know which operation it was, but my guess is it it was the Soleimani strike, and that information was declassified. We know how it went down, or it could have been the Osama bin Laden raid, and that, that could be the document. All declassified now, but at the time, very top secret. Because why? Why? Because they're describing a document that was found. That describes these things. But when you look at the prior stories from the Washington Post, they precede the phrase document with classified or top secret. They precede the phrase document with the classification. And they're not doing that here, which suggests these are not actually classified documents. But they want you to believe They are classified documents. That's the problem with the way the media is handling this. And by the way, think of all of the leaks from people within the FBI to the media about Donald Trump that turned out to be wrong. Very famously, and people at CNN lost their jobs, the network reported the FBI's director, James Comey, was going to testify before Congress and make certain statements about knowledge Donald Trump had. And James Comey testified before Congress. The sources clearly had come from the FBI. And what James Comey said to Congress did not comport with what the leaks from the FBI said would be there. The FBI in Washington has a long history of leaking against Donald Trump. The agency went to war against President Trump because President Trump routinely criticized the agency. And now they're going to the Washington Post with a story that implies a document or documents at Mar-a-Lago revealed classified information. But if you pay attention to the way the Washington Post writes the story, they do not say the documents themselves were classified. And by the way, if they were classified and revealed to the media, it would 
be against the law, too. The FBI or DOJ would be leaking. David Urban, not exactly a Trump fan, was on CNN talking about this. Well, you know, that that might work, might have worked in January 2021. It does not work after the National Archives pummeled him for nearly, what, 18, you know, a year to turn over documents which they believe to be classified. It doesn't work when he had a grand jury subpoena. It doesn't work when the FBI visited him. And it certainly doesn't work as a result of this search. In other words, it, 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 he had more time than any potential criminal defendant, any defendant had to go through the materials and come up with an explanation. And he has not. And I don't think that there is one except maybe nefarious ones. And Jennifer, just to uh, go ahead, David, sorry. Anderson, I was going to point out, like, you know, what Jennifer referred to earlier, what I don't like about this either is the fact that Devlin is getting this information over the transom, right? This, the basic, this, this information is probably classified in and of itself, right? These types of documents, the contents of the documents, those are classified in and of themselves. And somebody is improperly, somebody probably the Department of Justice is improperly thrown this over the transom to Devlin. And that's, that's it just as improper as well and should be condemned. Yes. Yes. So all of these people who are upset that Donald Trump had classified information are leaking what the classified information was that he had, which itself is illegal. And nobody other than David Urban on CNN is willing to point that out. It was it was boneheaded of Trump to do this. He shouldn't have kept those documents there, particularly for 18 months after the National Archives wanted them back. And there could have been a mistake. I mean, in the in the Barack Obama situation, there was a mistake. They transmitted classified documents to his presidential library. The moment it was discovered, they were turned around and sent back to the National Archives. These were there for 18 months with the National Archives asking for them back. It could have very well started out as an innocent mistake where someone transmitted stuff to Mar-a-Lago or had been delivered to the president while he was at Mar-a-Lago. And those documents were supposed to have been collected and transmitted back to the National Archives. The Presidential Records Act outlines how you do this. But they kept them there for 18 months. They shouldn't have done that. There would be no story here. There would be no story here right now had they followed the outline of the Presidential Records Act. But as much as I think it was a dumb thing for the Trump team to do, I think that it is would be remiss of anyone, and clearly the media is ignoring it, that the media is profiting off of leaks from the FBI and DOJ about classified information and what it was, the very things they're condemning Trump for keeping, we don't even know what he kept, but for the leaks from the FBI, undermining their own investigation and process. New Apple Watch, that's what I've got so far. New Apple Watch. Boy, the post-show call I'm going to get from my producer today on things not to do on Radio 101. (laughs) All right, the phone number, 877-973-7425, if you want to be on the program. The Biden administration, remember the Biden administration when they came in, decided they were going to give crack pipes and uh, heroin needles. They were going to do that, and uh, all the Democrats denied it, and it turned out the crack pipes were there. Well, the Biden administration is placing vending machines filled with drug supplies in rural Kentucky. Yep. The project from the National Institutes of Health was launched in August and will study the effectiveness of harm reduction kiosks in rural Appalachia. 
that will contain ejection equipment, naloxone, uh, fentanyl test strips, hygiene kits, condoms, and other supplies. The vending machines allow drug users to obtain items such as syringes without interacting with a health professional in hopes of eliminating the stigma that comes with visiting an in-person harm reduction facility. The White House referenced the project in an August 31st press release on its actions taken to address addiction and the overdose epidemic. So they want to make it easier to get uh, syringes for the heroin addicts. No crack pipes in this one. This is bizarre. You know, I've noticed this thing. So uh, like Raphael Warnock attacking Herschel Walker for his past sins, for which he's repented, asked forgiveness, a work to overcome, been open about uh, to destigmatize mental health. The Democrats really can't improve the country because they profit off calamity, don't they? Instead of fixing homelessness, they just redefine them as urban camping. Instead of fixing drug overdoses and fighting against the opioid epidemic, they just give people fentanyl test strips and syringes. They don't want to fix the problem. They don't want to fix the problem. They're perfectly fine with the problem festering and just mitigating their having to deal with it. They depend on this calamity. Now, if you subscribe to my daily email, speaking of of Raphael Warnock, you would see stuff like this. If you texted data to 33777, Uh, And I want you to know Herschel Walker, speaking of him, has unveiled a new advertisement that actually gets after some of the stuff regarding Raphael Warnock and even Stacey Abrams. I want to play this ad for you because, man, this is on the money. I do absolutely agree that it's racist. It is a redux of Jim Crow in a suit and tie. America has a long history of systemic racism. You ain't black. America has a pre-existing condition. It's called racism. Senator Warnock believes America is a bad country full of racist people. I believe we're a great country full of generous people. Warnock wants to divide us. I want to bring us together. I'm Herschel Walker. I approve this message. He's unveiling that across the state of Georgia, his ad campaign hit, and I hear he's going to have one that addresses the issues of, of his time struggling with mental health. Uh, that will push back. And it's notable the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee does not list Georgia as one of the states they are excited about. I think Walker wins. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I want to um, I wanna sing the praises real quick of a media company that I don't have any relationship with. Uh, in fact, um, if anything, I was, I was on one of their stations, and when I moved noon to three, I had to be taken off their station in, in my home city where I got my start uh, down in, in Macon, Georgia. Um, so for those of you who are new to the show, who haven't heard the story before, I think most of you have, but just real quick, I never set out to be a radio show host. Completely accidental at a cumulus station in Macon, Georgia. Uh, I was on, I had left my law practice by then. I was on TV with CNN as a conservative contributor before moving over to Fox. Uh, I was the editor of redstate.com and the local guy in the mornings there got arrested in a crack house. They needed someone rapidly to fill in. And so I got a call from the news director 
who asked if I would mind coming filling in. I had never done radio before other than filling in once for my buddy Kenny Bergamy down there. Uh, who had left the station since then, and they had brought in a new guy to replace him. And I was like, okay, sure. So uh, I, I go try it, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day. Uh, they asked me to do it for a day. The day became two days, became the rest of the week. At the end of the week, they wound up firing the guy who was 6 to 9 in the morning because he uh, used the phrase he had fallen off the wagon again. Uh, it was the again, I think, that got him in trouble. Uh, but... um. So I was there for three months, and while I was there, uh, the head of Cox Media Group happened to be going through Macon in the morning on his way, as I've been told, to Disney World with his family, was browsing for a talk radio station, found the station, heard me, thought it was my show, knew Herman Cain was running for president, offered me Herman Cain's job in Atlanta. I said no. And then a guy named Rush Limbaugh told me he would never talk to me again if I continued to insist I wouldn't do it. So I said yes. And I've been on radio ever since. Uh, totally by accident. Had the guy not been driving through Macon and heard me. Uh, had the guy not gotten arrested in a crack house and they needed someone and they got a guy who, I mean, literally I'd only been on TV a couple of months at the time. Uh, but it was a cumulus station down in Macon. And so I got my start there. And when I started my national show, originally it was nine to noon and I was on the station and I still have a huge audience down in Macon. My streaming numbers, uh, for listening to this show live in the middle Georgia area is actually pretty significant. Uh, thousands of people a day listen online, uh, which, which is great. I still got a great audience there, but, uh, they've got their own national show noon to three. And so I couldn't be there. And I was a little bit aggravated with it because it was my home station. It's really where I got my start with radio. But nonetheless, I, I got to sing Cumulus's praises real quick. Um, they're one of the largest radio companies in America, and they run Ben Shapiro's show. And I filled in for Ben recently, and they have a deal with uh, Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire for some news updates. There is a podcast conference called the Podcast Movement. And the podcast movement, it's an annual industry conference for podcasting. Well, the Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro do massive podcasts. And Cumulus airs Ben Shapiro's show through its syndicator, Westwood One. And they also handle the advertising for Ben Shapiro's podcast and radio show. Cumulus does a ton of podcasting for various shows, and Cumulus sponsors the podcast movement. Well, the leaders of the podcast movement were horrified when Ben Shapiro showed up at their conference to visit the Daily Wire's booth. They were fine taking money from the Daily Wire. They were fine having the Daily Wire there advertising Ben Shapiro. But when Ben Shapiro showed up, the podcast movement's Twitter account sent out an apology. They were so sorry that people were harmed by the presence of of Ben Shapiro, who is the nicest person, by the way. He's a nice person. They literally, this podcast movement, an industry trade group, apologized to podcasters present that they might have seen Ben Shapiro and therefore been harmed in some way. 
So the podcast movement contacted the Daily Wire and said it was best for them to part ways, to go their separate ways, because the progressives who were at the podcast movement conference were really horrified that a conservative might have a podcast. Not only that, Shapiro's got one of the biggest podcasts in America. I'm kind of jealous. I mean, he's got a ton of listeners for his podcast. He's one of the biggest podcasts in America, and they did not want to have him present. So I got to sing the praises of Cumulus, who makes a lot of money off of podcasting and is a sponsor of the podcast movement because they've told the podcast movement to go pound sand. And they have been a regular, reliable, major sponsor of the podcast movement's industry conference. And they've canceled their future sponsorship plans for the conference. And I would just like to say it's commendable of a company like that to stand by. They they could have continued their sponsorship because they got tons of other uh, podcasts that are non-political that sponsor. And it was just nice to see the industry because I, I got to be very honest with you. And, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to anyone. And I know it comes across that way. But I'm more and more mindful as I grow in radio that a lot of the major companies that run conservative talk, they're not conservatives. It makes them money, but some of them, frankly, I think are somewhat ashamed of conservative talk radio. And so it was nice to see this company stand up for Shapiro when they could have kept their sponsorship and no one would have asked them any tough questions. And instead they bailed and they had Shapiro's back. So I just wanted to take my time here. It, it, it is uh, not at all self-serving because I have no relationship with them and don't expect to. And uh, but it's good to see them have bins back on that. It was ridiculous for this podcast company uh, that does a conference for all people are welcome to feel triggered by the presence of Ben Shapiro, who is the nicest guy. Now, having said that, they've boycotted. We must talk about strikes. Some of you may not know this. But we are on the verge of the largest railway strike in American history. Did you know this? It's not getting a ton of coverage. But 100,000 railway workers in the United States within two weeks are expected to go on strike unless the railway unions and the railway companies and the Biden administration get on the same page. Now, the World Socialist Workers, what is this, World Socialist Website and Workers' Party, the International Committee of the Fourth International, they are really pushing hard for a railroad strike in America. They really want it to happen. Uh, and the railroad workers are considering doing a strike. This is from The Hill, which is a source I uh, tend not to wait. I can go to a I can go to a better source. I don't like The Hill because they sensationalize a lot of garbage that isn't true. I try to avoid them. But uh, Workday Minnesota has the story, railroad unions continue their slow creep toward a settlement or strike with contract negotiations. It affects 115,000 workers. On August 16th, the Presidential Emergency Board, convened by President Biden, issued its recommendations for a settlement. Many rail workers say they fall short and are prepared to strike. 
The Presidential Emergency Board recommended 22% raises over the course of five-year contracts that date back to 2020, which would be the highest wage increase rail unions have seen in decades, but they're offset by increases in health care costs and high inflation. The Presidential Emergency Board refused to touch any of the union demands on work rules and conditions, either denying them outright or suggesting the union return to negotiate and arbitrate. They're on the verge of a railway strike in this country that could cripple the economy. Five of the 13 unions representing rail workers have reached tentative agreements with railroads to enact the president's recommendations. But the bulk of railroad workers belong to unions that haven't yet agreed to a deal. More than 9 in 10 railroad workers would vote to reject what the president's recommendations are and go on strike, according to a survey. But the workers could change their minds when faced with the prospect of years of back pay and the reality that Congress can take away their main source of leverage at any time. Federal law gives Congress the power to block or delay a railroad strike. If workers were to walk out, lawmakers could vote to enact the president's deal or appoint arbitrators. Here's the problem for the Democrats. If they strike, it cripples the economy as we head into the midterms, and it's not just them. UPS workers and Teamsters are on the verge of a strike as well right now. In a new union contract, Rob Becker who worked as a delivery driver for UPS in Queens, New York, and other workers uh, who've been pushing for better overtime protections would see an elimination of a second tier of delivery drivers who are paid less and provided with less protections. UPS workers and the Teamsters have signaled preparations to strike to win demands in an ex-union contract that would benefit that second tier of delivery drivers. In August, Teamsters International launched the contract fight at UPS as the union leadership newly elected in 2021 has signaled an end to accepting concessions in union contracts with UPS. This, too, could upset the economy right as the midterms beckon. And here's what the railway workers and the UPS workers think. They're emboldened by having Democrats in charge of Congress. And they know that they could hurt the Democrats in November if they go on strike. And so if they go on strike, the Democrats in Congress will give them everything they want. It's not a coincidence there have been a series of news stories in the last couple of months about the resurgence of labor unions and how suddenly they're deeply popular. There's been a big PR campaign by the labor left to get people to embrace uh, private sector unions. And pay no attention to them driving up costs and things like that for you. They you got a lot of people who now suddenly believe the union line. If they go on strike, they hurt the economy. They hurt the Democrats. The Democrats have to force through whatever they want as quickly as possible in Congress. So it benefits them to go on strike. But it sends shockwaves to the economy. By the way, don't look now. The Federal Reserve is on the verge of raising interest rates another three-quarters of a percent. This is only the second day in two weeks the Dow has been up. It's up right now over 300 points. The NASDAQ over 163 points. This is it. This is the second day in two weeks the Dow has been up. As word comes 
that interest rates are going to go up again. And now you've got UPS workers and railroad workers across America considering a strike that will hurt the economy in the run-up to the midterms just as the general election season begins. There are all sorts of problems and landmines out there for the Democrats. In fact, way more for them than the GOP right now. And any sort of economic crippling right now could hurt any of the last remaining momentum Democrats have, and they kind of know that too. And then there's the other issue for the Democrats they're going to have to deal with, crime, which we will get to. Right now, though, I want to remind you about Patriot Mobile. You know, I read you the article yesterday. They're being attacked by the left because Patriot Mobile, one of the areas that they're using your dollars as a company, what they do is they take a portion of their profits that you help them generate and give it to conservative causes. One of the things they're doing is they're taking on woke schools. So they've actually run school board races in Texas. 11 out of 11 school board races have been successful. They're taking over school boards, putting conservatives on. They're funding these efforts, and they fund their efforts by you taking your business to them. Are you tired of woke school boards? Take your business to Patriot Mobile. All you got to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get guaranteed great service. They use the same towers everyone else uses. They not only take a portion of your of the profits you help them generate and give it to the conservative cause. They're highly effective at it. 11 out of 11 races this past year they've won, and they're continuing to grow and expand and help the cause so much so they're getting attacked by the left now. You can do business with them by going to patriotmobile.com slash Eric or call them. 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT is the number. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the show, I want to go to a phone call here to one of the railroad workers who's considering striking. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. I really enjoyed your show. So, okay, so explain this one uh, to me with what's going on there, because I've heard about this for a couple of months, thought it was resolved, and now I'm seeing headlines. You guys may go on strike. Uh, yeah, we've we've reached that point. Um, it's it's not about money. They're um, they're trying to throw money at it to make it go away, and it's it's about a quality of life issue more than anything. Um, cameras and drones, and um, yeah, you, you can, there's no time off. If you get sick over the weekend, there, there's a an attendance policy that's just not livable. Normal people. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, talk to me a little bit because I've got some friends of mine who work for one of the major rail companies who will go nameless, and he tries to explain to me that because the federal government can jump in and intervene on the rail system uh, and essentially force its will, that uh, the it's not the benefits of stuff; it's the work conditions for a lot of railroad workers. Uh, They're not what uh, normal people would think of as as safe, uh, and that there's not a lot of trust there, uh, and and you don't actually have the, the normal sick days and things that most people would in a job. Well, no, we don't have any sick days. Yeah. No, you, you can't, you can't be sick. You're not allowed to be sick. Um, it's, it's just, it's just about the conditions. It's, it's work conditions more than money. And, um, you know, wall street has taken over the railroads and we have a lot more invested in these companies than these wall street, um, investors, right? They don't have anything invested personally. Um, you know, whereas all of us, we've got our entire careers. Right. Invested in the so now, is it true? Because you say this, and I just I never quite really bought it. But here I am hearing you say too. So if you get sick and you can't go to work and you don't have vacation days, that there you don't have sick. You've just got a limited allotment of vacation days, and that's it. You lose your pay. 
Right. Yeah, there's no sickness. And that was one of the things that we wanted in the contract, and that was what um, the emergency board just backed up and punted mm-hmm. the, the important things that we wanted. Wow. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I, I hate to say it this way, that, that part of me is tempted to say go on strike because that will hurt the Democrats. I, I should say that. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I've, a friend of mine he works uh, down in Macon on the railroad uh, and has been complaining about some of these things. And it, it just, I, I've heard him say that. I was like, so how many vacation days do you get? Well, I mean, it's not like he gets a month worth of vacation if he's sick and COVID threw everything for a, 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 a thing. And he's like, if I'm sick, I got to go to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what's like through COVID? We worked off through COVID. We didn't slow yep. down. Now, they've eliminated, uh, Lord, thousands of um, transportation positions. And they've just, you know, 60-hour weeks are not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, I just – I mean, that's I, pretty I've, much the rule. I've I've heard about that, uh, and I'm not surprised this is coming. And we can talk about margins and everything else there, but yeah, I just the the it, it, the very bottom line here, Brian. I got to let you go there because I got a hard break coming, but I appreciate you calling in and listening. Uh, no sick days, like I it, most jobs, you get an allotment of X number of vacation days and the next number of sick days. Some string them all together, um, but literally, you you're on the railroad, you're going to show up sick. And it's not like you get an overabundance of vacation days there, even if you worked for quite a while at the railroad. Um, you're not talking like even 15 vacation days a year. It's, I, I was gobsmacked to, to hear this, and, and here's Brian saying it. This is one of the big conditions that has quality of life stuff um, and then second-guessing them and you don't have enough people working.